Hey, welcome to the Body, Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and I wanted to ask you, do you use these self-qualification devices, something like a Fitbit or even this Aura Ring that measures your sleep cycles? You know, the reason I ask you this is because these kinds of gadgets and technology, they're becoming more and more a part of our everyday lives. Using these devices can actually help us to understand our own human nature and our own personal habits a lot better. If you think that counting your calories, measuring your macronutrients, tracking your sleep or your, your daily step count is somewhat weird, then be prepared for this episode of the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast because today we have a guest who qualifies and optimizes a lot of things in his life starting from nutrition and ending with his environment. His name is Bob Troya from New York and he's an entrepreneur, a biohacker and a self-experimenter. And our conversation today is quite interesting because we're going to be talking about the fasting mimicking diet, ketosis using ketone esters and exogenous ketones and how you can take some blood tests to determine how your individual genetic makeup influences the way you metabolize food, how you should exercise and what kind of a lifestyle you should follow in general. If you want to support this podcast then make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. But now let's delve deeper into the world of self-quantification and optimization. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sim. Thanks for having me. Nice. Thanks, Sim. Thanks for having me. Nice. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you, how did you come up with this kind of a name, Bob Quantified Bob? So I've been doing a lot of self-experimentation and self-quantification for um, you know a number of years, and I started, uh, I set up a blog basically to start getting a lot of my thoughts and a lot of my data kind of down, just more for my own use and, and for archiving it. And I needed a domain, and Quantified Bob was <laughs> the first thing that just came into my mind. I, I didn't really overthink it, mm. uh, and yeah, the rest is history. Mm, nice. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and and what got you into this kind of uh, self-quantifying? Sure. So my background is uh, I've been in technology for a number of years, uh, a long-time entrepreneur, not doing anything business-wise in the health or wellness or fitness space. It, it, um, I've always had a personal passion for these areas uh, from the standpoint of being a former athlete and as you get older you start learning about more about your biology and physiology and just being a curious mind uh, I also have a background in software development so for me a lot of this you know the love of looking at data and uncovering insights out of things was something that I've always sort of had um, just as far back as I can you know think back to when I was a teenager and you're tracking workouts and your you know dietary uh, composition to see like does that gain more muscle does that give you more endurance um you know the tool and the tools are very simple back then i mean we're talking about you know a notepad and a pen and a scale yeah. and a tape measure uh but now we've got you know the technology's really sort of taken off in the last few years so we can get access to things that you know even five years ago we're just you know you just could never you can never get that in, that type of information or insights and so for me it's just been a pretty amazing to 
see the amount of, of information and, and things we can learn about ourselves. Yeah. So, do you who do you think you are in in who do you call yourself? Like, do you think yourself as a, a more of a biohacker, a scientist, an entrepreneur, or an athlete, or some something like that? Who do you think you know consider yourself to be? Yeah. Well. I, you know, in, in the business world, I consider myself an entrepreneur and technologist. Um, and from the standpoint of health and wellness, or biohacking, or quantified self, uh, there's a term I like to use called citizen scientist, uh, mm. where you know I, I don't have a degree. I'm not a research. I mean, I have a degree from university, but not I'm an engineering degree, not a, a medical degree or anything like that. So it's about you know us being n, n equals one, n of one experiments. And um, I like to wear you know that sort of hat in this space. But also, kind of blending the, the quantification aspects of, of quantified self with mm. a lot of the things that are going on in the biohacking world. So, yeah. a lot of people who are biohackers maybe are doing a bunch of things, get them to an optimal state, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever I'm doing is working. I don't quite know what is working, <laughs> but I think like I feel I feel better." And then you know, on the quantification side, you've got people who are tracking lots of things about themselves and maybe not even uh, about their health. You know, it could be uh, productivity, things like that, uh, just to learn more about themselves. And I, I kind of blend the two together. So I like to take the knowledge I'm getting from the biohacking side of things and then apply some data and anal analysis to it to see what it's really doing to myself. Because even if something does or doesn't work for me, it doesn't mean that for you, you'll have the same result. We're all, we're all individuals. Yeah, like exactly. Like you, you rarely see like a, a professional biohacker who would be like this, this kind of a the guy who does just this self quantification just for the heck of it. You know, the, the the people who are involved in this kind of field are all all like they're they have some other project that they're working on. You know, namely they're some sort of a, they want to improve their performance or their well being. And you know, what were some of your your own first biohacks or self experiments? The early stuff, uh, you know, it was really around tr training and diet. I mean, uh, thinking back even like 20 years ago, I, I did some things that today I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> was I, like, I mean, nothing crazy was like, th these were popular training protocols at the time, like from a diet standpoint where like there was something called like an ECA stack where you're training, you're taking a combination of ephedrine, caffeine, and aspirin and it had this like, effect. And okay. I put on, you know, I, I actually gained... I had good results in all that, but then you know you're getting heart palpitations, and you're getting other things, and you realize like when so there's substances that were maybe considered legal at the time or safe, considered safe, but um you know they can they can definitely have long term you know negative effects. Even if you're, and then and in that process I started on like realizing about myself, even though I was trying to be this high performing entrepreneur executive running my own businesses, um, I, I was like out of energy, even though on the outside. I looked like I was athletic, I was training, you know, playing sports and training and all that, being very active, but inside I was just like exhausted. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. where I went down the path of like what's really going on inside and you start peeling back those layers of the onion. That's the, you know, an analogy we like to use where you work from just like, hey, what are you eating? And I was eating what I thought was a healthy diet. It was very like, oh, very lean protein, like chicken, no fat. <laughs> and you know, so it's testosterone. Yeah, so it's like the opposite. It's almost like, but that's what was considered healthy, you know, even probably a lot of people today. Um, so I had to kind of get educated in terms of like rethinking, reframing my ideas of nutrition. And so from a biohacking perspective, it was starting to experiment with different types of, you know, changing my diet, changing different pieces of that. 
and seeing how that affected my health. So I was getting, so then I was diving more into the uh, diagnostics. So getting a lot of blood work done, getting, you know, not just your baseline sort of uh, blood panels, but then digging into hormonal, hormonal things, looking at things like my gut, um, and just learning a lot about how all these systems work together. Cause I, I admittedly, like I was not, I, I didn't know much about it. Like I had diagnosed uh, 10 years ago I was bitten by a tick and had some Lyme disease but like caught it very early but they give you a bunch of antibiotics and that wrecks you know that has a lot of uh, effects on just wiping out the good stuff and the bad stuff in your gut and, and so then that allows for other things to occur in, in your body um, but in terms of you know going from diet then discovering things like um, you know, biohacking from the standpoint of, I was like, oh, well, biohacking because we're trying to achieve this result or we're trying to do it as quickly as possible or, or in a way that requires you know, minimal effort. And I was thinking, like, I saw things with around training and using electrical muscle stimulation modalities like that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I was like, I can work out, you know, two days a week and just 10 minutes a day and I'm going to have like a six pack of abs. And, but, but when I dug into it and I actually started using some of these technologies, you realize, you're actually working out a lot harder and more. I mean, you get results, but you have to, it's actually a lot of effort. And um, yeah. there's no, it wasn't like, it wasn't like there was a shortcut. It was yeah. actually providing, I mean, neurologically, it was improving me, uh, you know, basically getting my brain and my muscles to, you know, correct any weird compensation patterns that I had, maybe from past injuries. But, um, and that helped on the training side. Mm. And, you know, and then supplement, you know, you go from diet, you go to supplementation. And then as you dig deeper and deeper, you start going from like the macro side of things like food and you work your way really down to almost like the, um, the quantum level you're getting to like yeah. cellular, subcellular. So now I'm looking at like the, how light affects different light frequencies affect different systems. And we hear a lot of, about things like, you know, our mitochondria and exactly. how are you, you know, optimizing and, and enhancing them. So that's kind of the path that I've gone down. So for me, like food, I, you know, yeah, food tastes delicious and everything like that. But to me, it's all about what is it, you know, it's all ultimately going to turn into electrons. <laughs> yeah. it gets down, you know, it gets broken down. So, um, so that's the way I, you know, you kind of reframe the way you look at it from that big macro side of things. It's about food and diet all the way down to like, now, how is it affecting things on the cellular and subcellular level? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like it usually starts off with, you know, you're wanting to get more fit, you you want to get a six pack, you want to get stronger, and then you get into the cognitive and, you know, mental optimization, and uh, eventually you're going to start focusing on the longevity and anti-aging benefits. So, so let's maybe start off from the bottom of your, optimizing your performance, and, and you've written on your blog about your uh, experiments with ketosis and fasting quite a bit, and, you know, intermittent fasting itself has become quite popular at the moment, not only amongst biohackers, but also like in the mainstream fitness industry. So what are, have, what have been your experiences with uh, fasting? Yeah, so my, my first exposure was exactly that, intermittent fasting. Um, yeah, as I was reframing diet and I was looking at ways to, you know, increase my level of fats and protein and lower carbohydrates. And then I was looking at the idea of moving my eating window to a smaller amount of time per day, maybe shift. So now instead of eating breakfast, uh, you know, everyone kind of goes, whether they put butter in their coffee or have some oils and things, healthy saturated fats to kind of add, add you know, give your body the ability to use ketones for energy, but still maintain a kind of a, uh, essentially a, a fasted state. There's, there were still like issues with my thyroid and other things, and I probably should not have been doing it initially because I think it adds it, there is an additional stressor on the body. So mm. I think you have to make sure your body's in a okay shape to be able to start doing intermittent fasting. Mm. 
So I was doing that and seeing success. And then, you know, I started seeing people who were doing longer term fast. So whether it's a, you know, a 24 hour fast or three day fast or a five day water fast. And I was kind of like, that seems, you know, a bit intense to do like a five day water fast. Cause you know, <laughs> it's like you're playing sports and you gotta, you know, you, it, so I came across, um, these researchers had done some experiments and you, of course it's always in a lab with, you know, and rats yeah. and all that but but this is one which then had it on people where they were it was called the fasting mimicking diet mm. where they they uh they found that if uh, for a five-day period by just restricting calories to a certain percentage of their normal caloric intake so you're getting some um, calories i mean minimal probably uh for the average person like you're talking about a thousand calories a day or okay. a day um you can um, physiologically get all the benefits almost as if you were doing a complete fast for that time but your body then it's not as tough on the body and you mm -hmm. also uh, the, one of the things you do a longer term fast is you know there's gonna be some um, uh, it's, a, it's a bit catabolic like you'll, you'll lose some muscle um, in, in the same way you're burning off everything else but this will help maintain some of that so um, you know cause some people are doing the fasting, maybe they're thinking like, oh, I'm gonna lose weight. But I think a lot of people are fasting not from the weight loss perspective, they're doing it from, they're trying to reset their systems, get all their regenerative processes to kick back off once you refeed. Mm -hmm. So this, this fasting mimicking diet um, started gaining some popularity because uh, the research got out there and people were talking about like, hey, we can try this. Uh, they, were, they had made a commercialized product out of it that you could go to a doctor and basically get this five-day kit. And it had a lot mm -hmm. of like, um, a lot of sort of broths and yeah. things and teas and all that to kind of keep you sort of full throughout the time. Mm. Looked at the, um, the, the the patent filing for the, they patented the diet and I and had all the, all the information about it in the patent. So you could see like the macronutrients, the micronutrients and how to calculate things based on body weight. And I just said, well, okay, if we look at this and reverse engineer it, it's essentially like eating uh, an avocado a day, some greens powder, um, a little bit of coconut oil and, and then maybe a little bit of raw. Um, I, I, I kind of chose like a little bit of uh, cauliflower and maybe a little bit of sweet potato. And each day you just break, I broke it into sort of like two servings. I mean, it's a, it's a tiny, tiny amount of food, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it was, you know, you would get a little, you know, I had one in the afternoon and I had one in the evening. That was like my lunch and dinner. And, you know, and it was fine. I, I did, you know, I did my first FMD, fasting and making diet. And, um, you know, it was interesting to see the effects in terms of uh, obviously you're gonna you're gonna go into a deeper state of ketosis over that over a number of days. It actually took me about almost it took me three days to actually reach more of a uh, therapeutic level of uh, ketosis. So most people can get into it. There's like um, nutritional ketosis, which I think anyone that intermittent fast, you're pretty much going to be in that in the morning when you wake up at some level of it. Um, but getting into a deeper state, it actually took me longer than I thought. So I thought I thought it was actually more keto adapted, but it actually took me three days. And okay. then my glucose was tanked, and obviously from fasting, your glucose is going to go down. So yeah. you get this inversion where the ketones rise, glucose drops, mm -hmm. and you reach this sort of therapeutic zone. And then you're just running on ketones essentially. And it's and it, you know, so people who have been in ketosis know the feeling where you have this mental clarity. You yeah. feel like you've got all you know this ton of energy. Uh, for me, I had like intense dreams. It was like more. Like nice. intense than I like really ever had. So, and all those so, effects. And that's so like some sort of lucid. Yeah, and at dream. the end, of, uh, not quite lucid, but it was very intense. Like I wasn't able, I wasn't lucid, like controlling my dreams. I was um, just there. It was just like 
vivid and remember you know, a lot just remembering immense detail okay. and, 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 and and there was like a lot more dreams um, so like in terms of like normally yeah, I wake up and I'll try to like remember my dreams that kind of maps to like number of sleep cycles mm-hmm. and um, and sometimes you just kind of know like what was going on right when you woke like at the end of it you don't really remember the whole thing at least for me but in this case I was like wow I had like these were pretty long intense dreams it's only happening while I was doing while I was doing this fast after like let's say day three when I reached that high level of ketosis mm. so but uh, so then but like uh, I'm, 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 I'm quite skeptical about this kind of a fasting mimic in diet because you know like I understand that the caloric restriction of this diet it's gonna put you into ketosis and it's gonna lower your blood sugar but uh, but what about the effects of uh, autophagy you know for those of you who don't know then autophagy is your cells cleansing mechanism that recycles old waste material in the body and uh, autophagy gets triggered by fasting and it even just a small amount of calories can and uh, and even just a small amount of protein can also you know stop autophagy do you know whether or not you know the fasting mimic diet has any like uh, suppressive effects on autophagy. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the claims is that because you're the combination of it, it's at a, the caloric level is low enough and, and the ratios like what you're consuming, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't interfere with some of those processes. So you're okay. like they, they were very careful about things like that. So um, yeah, so, so you're I mean, I've done things where I've done a 24 hour, let's say a protein fast or something like that to kind of you know mm-hmm. enhance those effects. But but actually you know over um, over the five days, I mean, and the only the only way I could sort of test this, like I did blood work before and after uh, my FMD, mm. and I could see, you know, but in terms of regenerative markers, uh, it's hard to, you know, I could I could look at things like that, but in terms of knowing what level was I getting during it, mm. um, I can just go by the research which says, you know, if you stay below these numbers, the average, you know, and and, and keep in mind when these research studies. Are on, these are like average people, like probably unhealthy people. Yeah, yeah. So. Exactly. I, 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 I took things more even to the extreme. So like where they listed the amount um, of macronutrients by body weight, and mm-hmm. there's a range. I always took the low end of everything. I was like, I want to go to the low end of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, sure, like if somebody wants to just do a five-day water fast, they can handle it. That's great. I think what I was trying to look at here was can you, know, can you do this with a way that's maybe um, mentally and physically a little more manageable? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was actually looking yeah, like I can still get a little bit of something and not overthink it. Um, and, and but I was also concerned about you know the the catabolic effects of fasting. And and so for me, like when I after I completed the fast and I did another round of blood work, I mean, you know my, things like testosterone go up forty percent. Like they they shot up. My body was that regenerative. That's that that's really the, that's the benefit of the fast. It's not mm-hmm. that the fast itself kind of puts you into a state, sure, but it's when you refeed, your body's like, oh, I'm not going to die. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. re. I'm gonna feed and all your regen all your systems your immune system and all these hormones growth hormones and things kind of re- you know your body just generates a bunch of them mm-hmm. and then so i think you know depending on someone's initial state going into this i'm sure the results will vary uh, for me it just happened to be uh you know it took me longer than i thought to get into that uh deeper state of ketosis but i definitely uh, upon refeeding saw these great effects mm-hmm. um i wasn't i know a lot of people that are doing fasting mimicking diet as a way to like you know they're, they're they're trying to lose weight and they're using it as like a they do it once a month repeat the site you know eat normally for 25 days and then do this for five and but that wasn't my goal i was just trying to see hey compared to a regular fast for an average healthy person what you know 
what was sort of happening here. Mm. So, like, what were your macronutrients? What what proportions of proteins, carbon, fat? Yeah. So the way they outline it is um, on the so there's it's five days. The first day is a little bit different than the rest. So the first day it's um I'm looking here at the ratios. We're about they go 10% protein, 56% fat, and 34% carbs. But keep in mind, my total caloric intake on day one was about 770 calories. Okay. Which I, which is, you know, it's actually like 10 grams a lot of protein. Of, you know, I, yeah, exactly. And so, um, but then on days two to five, you cut it back down. So then, and the ratio shifts slightly. So it's 9% protein, 44% fat, 47% carbs. Okay. And then my, so my, my caloric intake was about 500 calories for the rest. Mm. Um, now, in, 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 if I was to like hack it again, for me personally, I mean, this, I was just sticking with what they put in their study and what they outlined. I would have just shifted more of my calories to fat. Mm. Um, I don't, I, I didn't really, you know, for me, it was like even getting that little bit of carbs, I, didn't, you know, I would have rather had that as fat calories, to be honest. I would have said, you know, there's some other things you notice too, like around day three, day four, um, some people, like I was actually having a bit of a, uh, kind of a detox reaction. So okay. like I was feeling a little bit of, a little bit of a pain in like my kidneys. Um, so my body, you know, I think you do get a bit of a, uh, some people had that effect and I don't think it was dehydration. I was definitely drinking enough water. Mm-hmm. So I would have taken some, some like milk thistle or something to support, um, organs and because um, I you know I, I think that could that could help a bit as well okay. um, but yeah I th- you know so there's some calories there um, now whether uh, you know you somebody wants to take it and hack it further they can and you know but then is it te- is it technically the fasting mimicking diet I mean no, I was just trying to do it by yeah. the way they out it in their in their study um, and I and one of my observations was I actually did this with, along with two other friends who have, um, I think one of them had the same body weight as me, but a very different build, mm-hmm. different height, a little, little more muscular, um, shorter and muscular. Uh, and like that, the, the results were different for, for us. So it kind of shows that like they made it, you have to factor in other things other than just your body weight, I think. I think they're trying to simplify it, mm-hmm. but you have to look at other factors, like how keto adapted are you, yeah. your sort of base body composition, you know, are you muscular or is it, are you just more like overweight? And mm-hmm. I think you can make some tweaks to it. And, you know, but you don't want to overcomplicate it because then it's like the whole point of like biohacking is like you're trying to do things and keep them simple. And then, yeah. you, have, you know, so I, I, you know, and I got it pretty simple. I made like a spreadsheet. I could just plug in, plug in some numbers and it generates all my information, all, all the nutrient info that I wanted. So it wasn't that difficult. Um, it's actually more difficult to you try to like do this diet and like every day you're trying to think of like, what do I eat today? What do I eat today? So I, I just ate the same thing every day. It was easy. I didn't have to think yeah. about it. Just you know, everything everything was portioned out, and I just was like, okay, time for lunch, time for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I would also think like, why would you need that many carbohydrates if if let's say the it's if you would increase your fat intake, you you might you know get into ketosis faster, and you will also potentially feel more satiated at the same time. You know because you know. Let's say if what what foods did you eat? Like if you eat like some sort of a sweet potato or something, then you're gonna you might get more hungrier than if you were to skip all all those kinds of foods altogether. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you know they're probably this is built for like an average sort of person who's probably yeah. zero bit zero keto adapted. Probably eats a lot, many many carbohydrates. Mm. I, I again, if I was to you know to make a tweak for myself, I would shift more of the calories to fats. Um, I did notice, so actually on the first day or the second day, there was, I, 
for my carbohydrates, I ate a tiny, tiny bit of, I actually used white rice one day. Mm. And I don't know why I chose, I, maybe because it was like easy. I was like, I'm gonna eat a little bit of white rice now. But it actually totally messed up my like, my glucose shot up, my, you know, so I was like, everything was trending down and all of a sudden the white rice ruined it. So I was like, no more white rice. We're gonna stick to like, you know, all right, I'll use like a sweet potato. Mm. Um, so, but, but to your point, um, you know, about being more hungry, um, I mean, there's tricks that you, that this diet uses. Like, there's a lot of vegetable broth. I mean, there's not a lot, there's really no animal protein in this. Mm. It's mostly, it's all, um, but you know, you mainly because you want to keep the, the uh, protein levels down. And but you could you could eat like um, if you had like a vegetable broth or something. Like that's a good way to just get some nutrients and kind of keep your stomach full. If you're, if you're really worried about getting hungry, yeah. Um, also sipping. Uh, I, I drank a lot of chamomile tea mm. that helped just. I keep the keep the digestive <laughs> nice, um, nice. system in place. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was you know, is it for everybody? Uh, no, but I, I do know like a lot of doctors who are now like you know they're telling patients that they can do this and, and they're even so, saying to them like you know here's how you do it. You can kind of hack it together yourself. You don't have mm. to go out and spend a ton of money to do it. And people are you know finding good success off it. So um, you know I, I just I think if you want to do you know if someone to do a five day water fast and they're good with that. And that's great. I, I, this is just a way of looking at it where, hey, I can you know get a little bit of something in my body. Um, maybe if I have to do some sports or training, I can. Not mm. super intense, but it allows me to have something, <laughs> some reserves, <laughs> and still you know still get that awesome rebound effect when I refeed at the end of five days. You mentioned like you that you wouldn't eat any animal products, and uh, this is actually like one crucial aspect to. Of fasting and autophagy as well, like the protein actually suppresses autophagy a lot more than your know, other macronutrients. Like you know, research has shown that you know, even like two to three grams of leucine can actually stop autophagy. And you mm. know, so and you know the reason why I, why I believe like paying close attention to autophagy is so important is that you know it's actually needed for having a successful fast. You know, fasting and caloric restriction are you know they're one of the one of the easiest ways of and one of the surest ways of uh, promoting your lifespan, but you know, at the same time, they've, they've also done some studies on two groups of rats, where where one of the groups was, you know, they inhibited autophagy in those rats, which which didn't make the rats live longer, whereas on the other hand, the other group was allowed to, you know, have normal expressions of autophagy, and uh, mm -hmm. and they did live longer. So, which basically means that. That you need this cellular cleansing process of autophagy to gain the uh, life extension benefits of fasting, because you know there are also a lot of studies showing like how long-term caloric restriction is extremely bad for your body, you know, for your brain and your mitochondria as well. Like this, uh, yeah, you, like it's like yeah, like you live, diet, a long, yeah. yeah, like you might live a long time, but you'll be miserable. Yeah, <laughs> That's what exactly. Say. So yeah, like, <laughs> but so if if I would suggest that a weight loss diet. That just restricts your calories isn't that healthy because because you would be definitely better off by doing caloric restriction with intermittent fasting because you would be able to you know allow autophagy to boost your health at the same time and also and I and I do think yeah you know, I was going to say there's, there's there's other variations too uh, you know there's fasting mimicking diets like a five day thing once every month or every two months. But you know, some people prescribe to this like five two, like they'll you know they'll they'll eat kind of normal caloric intake for five days, and then maybe two days cut it back down. And I and mm -hmm. I think all those things can be, you know, you have to experiment and see what what works best for you. But like, mm -hmm. there's days where I'll just be like, yeah, I'm gonna fast today, not yeah. a big deal. You know? 
Yeah, it's also yeah. like a, like a, there are many reasons why people do intermittent fasting. Like, like pe- usually it's done for like weight loss, but you know, other people do it like for the life extension benefits if they fast for you know several days in a row. And you know, fasting won't make you lose muscle either as well that much because of because of autophagy first and foremost, and also because of uh, ketosis. And you st- basically you start using your own body fat for fuel. Can you can you tell us a little bit about? your experience with uh, ketosis and the ketogenic diet. Yeah, so I, I'm definitely not someone who, I'm not going to say I prescribe, like, or I, I often do like a totally ketogenic diet, probably, I mean, I, I eat a very low-carb diet, mm-hmm. and I'm in ketosis for part of every day, so definitely intermittent fasting, I, um, I, I do keep my, you know, I'm not, I'm not like one of those people who's like, if there's any carbs in anything, I'm not going to eat it. I mean, I keep it low, so mm-hmm. naturally it's my diet. But there are, but there are cases where I'll do like a refeed or something, and I'll I'll eat a very, like in, like I'll say, once or once or twice a week in the evening at dinner, I might add in a bunch more carbs, and mm-hmm. there are these things called carb backloading people are doing with, with around training, yeah. And um, but I've noticed with um, you know, from a body composition standpoint and all of that, I think you know the trending, you know, the, there's a trend like you said, if your body is is using. Um, body fat, you know, it's been using that for energy, you're sort of shifting your energy sources from, you know, sugars and carbohydrates to, to that, um, mm. you definitely see that. Uh, so I would say, you know, my, my diet is, is ketogenic from the standpoint of, you know, I get into a nutritional state of ketosis every day. Um, I'm not all in ketosis, I'm sure, like, cause I can probably get out of it pretty easy if I just eat like, like I said, a little bit of white rice or something will, will knock me right out of it. Mm. So, um, whereas, whereas in the morning, like certain, there's certain foods that will, uh, like, you know, you, you do this sort of like butter coffee thing in the morning with some, you know, healthy oils and stuff. My, you know, and I measure my blood sugar, like I'm actually wearing a continuous glucose monitor right now. Mm, nice, so, nice. Um, and so, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and, you're, well, your, glu- your blood sugar is actually going to naturally rise for the first hour after you wake up. But mm. after that, um, it, it'll come back down a bit. But if I drink some of these, co- you know, get some extra ketones in my body in the morning like that, I'll actually then see my, my blood, sh- my sugar will actually go down even more. So it's actually, um, so certain foods and types of meals will actually, you know, have that added effect for, uh, for, for, uh, bringing down blood sugar and increasing ketones. But, you know, I'm not, I haven't done it long term. I haven't been like a long term, like I'm only going to eat like avocados and (laughs) oil and stuff like that. Like I, I, you know, I, I, I add in a lot of vegetables and, you know, the thing is, even if you're trying to do like, you talk about doing a fast or, um, autophagy and it's hard, man, like just vegetables themselves have protein and stuff in them. If you add up like what you eat throughout a day and you want to keep, let's say you do a protein fast and you want to keep all protein intake below, let's say 15 grams a day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost as hard because you're, if you're eating just broccoli, <laughs> it's gonna, you're going to exceed it. Like it goes over the number and yeah. um, it's really hard to get dial that in. Yeah. Yeah. And also like you shouldn't, you shouldn't make sacrifices for like, uh, wanting to stay in ketosis or wanting to stay within certain micronutrients while like neglecting the, the vitamins and minerals or like the fiber from uh, from uh, from these vegetables or fermented foods even. Yeah, and actually going back to that fasting mimicking diet, I, I think that's another thing I sort of no- noticed was in retrospect, um, it would have been nice to have a little more sort of some more fiber in, <clears throat> in that, I think to support, um, you know, so I, I think so, someone was experimenting with maybe some psyllium husk or, or adding something in just to get a little bit of fiber mm. added into their, into yeah. their diet. Nice, yeah. Um, another one of your articles uh, talked about exogenous ketones and uh, ketone esters. 
Uh, can you maybe briefly explain the difference between them and how did the experiment go? Sure. So there, a lot of people are experimenting now with exogenous salt, salt-based ketones. Mm. Um, so they use like a powder, uh, or come in a packet, or, or you know, and you, you basically mix it with water or juice and drink it. And those are salt-based. So it just means that in order to make the, um, the get the beta hydroxybutyrate into the body, it's sort of like a salt, like a it could be sodium or potassium or something like that, and then the bonded to the. Uh, to the, to the ketone source um, and that's kind of like what people are taking they're drinking these things that will get them into like a, a mild state of nutritional ketosis um, but the military in the US had been working on these things called ketone esters for a number of years mm. and they were trying to develop a fuel source essentially for special operations soldiers where they had to go on missions that were like super intense on both the mind and the body mm. and they needed something that can be like immediately absorbable like get them this like burst of yeah. um, added uh, energy. Yeah, superpowers, right. And so they were developing um, what are called ketone esters. Mm. And if you, so if you think of um, like the salt as being, you know, like, like a, okay, like sort of source of exogenous ketones, the esters are like, it's kind of like putting it, like it's like rocket fuel version of it. It's yeah. pure, it's pure beta hydroxybutyrate. It's, um, more dense, you know, it's yeah. something that- More concentrated. Yeah. like. Yeah, like a serving, if you wanted to compare like a serve, let's say you took 40 grams of, of these esters, mm -hmm. to get the same benefit for, with um, salts, you'd have to drink, probably you have to mix it with water and stuff, so you'd probably be drinking like over a gallon of water and and you'd have to take so much, so many of the salt packets mm -hmm. that um, it's actually dangerous because for two reasons. One is just, it's a lot of salt, mm -hmm. like a dangerously high level of salt in the body. And second is, uh, Ketones have the molecule, like beta-hydroxybutyrate comes in two forms. Um, if you know much about like in chemistry, there's always like a mirror image of certain molecules, like a left hand and a right hand version. Mm -hmm. And our bodies can only use one form of it. It's called D-beta-hydroxybutyrate. Okay. So the ketone esters, the ketone esters are nothing but that version of it. So we, 100% of those esters the body can use. Okay. In the salts, in the salts, it has both forms, 50%, it's called racemic, uh -huh. meaning 50% each form. So we're only able to utilize 50% of the ketones in the salt base, um, most what's on the market now. Mm. So that adds another potential danger. If you're taking a high level of the salts and you're using, let's say, a ketone meter to measure your ketones, your blood ketones, mm -hmm. it's only measuring the, the right-hand version. So okay. let's say you're, you're like, oh, I'm at 8.0, you know, you're at 8.0 uh, millimolar, which is like, yeah, I'm in like a high level of ketosis. You're actually like 16, which is <laughs> ketoacidosis. That's dangerous. Yeah. So, so you have to be very careful if you try to get at that level with salt-based ketones. They're really expensive. Like probably a serving would cost about twenty thousand U.S. dollars to make one serving up. <laughs> and yeah, and so out of some of the research that came out of all this, uh, how they how they were making these esters, I came across a uh, like a company that was making these. Um, uh, they were making esters, but like in very very small batches. Like they were kind of they didn't have like massive production or anything, and it was still very expensive to produce. Mm. Um, and you know they they were called ketone aid, and so I reached out to them because I saw they were working with a lot of like professional athletes. Like they were giving these, you know, they weren't selling it. They were giving like the product to like uh, Tour de France cyclists and those types of you know athletes who need like that uh, quick burst of energy and in a legal in a way that's legal. Um, and seeing great results, like performance was increasing. So I reached out to them, saying, "Hey, I'd love to try these out." Because I'm just like, "Hey, I, you know, I want I want to experience what these esters are like," but I was like also looking to do things around cognition. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I was right. But I'm like, look, I don't want to, I'm not a Tour de France cyclist or anything like that, but I would love to set up an experiment where I can measure the effects of these ketones on, uh, there's like a cognitive uh, assessment, you know, battery of tests. And so they were, they were like, yeah, sure. They sent me a bottle. And what I had done was for, for a few weeks prior, I was doing a bunch of brain training games, uh, that basically in a number of categories to s- establish um, baselines. So you're going to get better just playing these. It's called the learning effect. Mm. Uh, so, so what I did was I kept playing and playing and playing these things until I tell my scores like tape, like they flattened. So I was like, okay, I'm not getting any better at these things. I'm, I'm pretty much like at my, that's a good baseline. Mm. I then got, I then took the esters and Within 15 minutes, I was in deep, like I was already in ketosis, like a nutritional, almost therapeutic level. Within 30 minutes, wow. the meters only go, the meter only goes up to eight millimolar mm. as a readout. It's a maximum, so you get an error message if you go higher than eight. So within 30 minutes, it said error. <laughs> I was higher than. Eight. Um, but you better isn't always the uh, higher isn't always better. So mm. there's. They, there's this, people have identified this sort of sweet spot for, for therapeutic ketosis. Um, and they usually, I've heard between four and six millimolars, some people say five to seven. Mm-hmm. And actually going higher is not, than that is not good. So we had actually, they had given me a, a serving based on my, my weight and estimated keto adaptation. So we actually overshot it a little bit because we didn't want to go that high. We actually overshot it, but, but it was okay because I did the cognitive test an hour after I took them and actually the, my, ketone level came back down into that that zone that that optimal zone so okay. right so so it was fine so an hour later i do i go through all the cognitive tests and like across the board i my scores went up in every category i mean a few were only maybe a few percent and then a few it was like 20 to 30 percent improvement and it was like you know and i thought it was like oh is it could be adrenaline like it's contributing to it but what was interesting was i retested you know just like the next day and my scores came back down again. <laughs> so that showed that there's like this temporary, um, ben- you get this temporary improvement in performance, but it's not, um, it's not like a long lasting thing. So that's why yeah. the Port of France like, will use it. It gives them a burst of energy, but then it goes away after four hours. And so, you know, it, it's a cool tool. I think it's for, you know, if you have an, something you want to accomplish, like I'm going to go play sports or race or do something like that, or take a test or be a poker, professional poker player. Yeah. Like, I think he's going to, huge benefit but i don't think for the average person who's just like sitting in an office behind a desk just wants some energy the esters are probably a little bit too um well both expensive at this point but um it, it you know it, but i do think everyone should at least experience it once it's like it's pretty cool like to be able to see like if you've ever you know if you've been in ketosis you know that feeling if you've taken exogenous ketones you know that feeling but then if you've taken the esters it's like Okay. Uh, just different sort of. Uh, but I will. I will warn you though. They do taste terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of tell us about the taste. There are some rumors about it. Yeah. So the the early sort of esters that the military were given, like they were saying how they would like get these soldiers to almost be crying because it tastes so bad. <laughs> like, but, and, um, and, the, and these are like the toughest sons of bitches on the planet. You know, like Navy SEALs. <laughs> they eat yeah, dirt. Exactly. They eat dirt every day. Yeah. Like. Exactly, and like they're drinking this because it's like it's like rocket fuel. Like you know, the analogy they would say is it tastes like drinking rocket fuel, pure rocket fuel. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. I drank it, and the, and the tip I was given by by the ketone aid folks was, um, as soon as you know, drink it in one shot. Make sure you don't you know, get it all down, mm-hmm. and immediately follow it with a take a sip of sparkling mineral water, mm-hmm. and it kills, and the taste sort of just dies out. It somehow um, makes it you know smooths it out, but it still tastes terrible. But it's tolerable. It's like um like bad tequila or <laughs> something like that. So so um you ever had that before? You ever had that before? 
to usually measure your blood ketones and glucose as well, like on a consistent basis? Glucose, yes. Uh, ketones, it's sort of like when I need to, cause it, mainly because uh, ketone strips are um, the blood for doing uh, blood tests on ketones. You know, are, are a bit expensive, so mm -hmm. to, do, to do them multiple times a day. It's uh, I, I do it. I mostly do it when I need it, like if I'm doing an experiment or I'm just trying to like get a sense of like, am I dialed in in terms of my diet? Mm -hmm. um, Glucose, I'm check all the time. Like I said, I'm wearing a continuous monitor now. Mm -hmm. I don't always wear a continuous monitor. These last for about two weeks, mm -hmm. um, these devices. And then there's just like a little meter that you, um, it, it can pull the data off of the, off of the uh, sensor. And mm -hmm. So I can, it's, so what's great is I, I'm, right now I'm looking at effects of like glucose in terms of a 24 hour cycle. So I can see what happens while I'm sleeping. I actually go, my blood sugar actually dips low overnight. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I need to eat a little like something small before bed to keep mm. it at, at a level because that could disrupt your sleep if it goes too low your body yeah. will it'll wake. actually raise cortisol to kind of get you like hey wake <laughs> up wake up yeah get some glucose back in your system um, so but I also look at things like um, like from a personalized nutrition standpoint what I'm doing is seeing the effects of different carbohydrates in my body so I would eat like equal amounts like one day I'll eat let's say uh, 50 grams of white rice and then I'll measure and I'll see a curve, like what's the effect? Like it jacks up my, my glucose will go up within 30 minutes and then after like 45, it kind of comes back down. But maybe if I eat like a, you know, a sweet potato or pumpkin or some, some other types of carbs, you'll see like they have different effects. And, we have, and what's, what's interesting is it's based off of a study that was done in Europe where they had a bit like about 500 people they tested on and, and, and like they were trying to find consistencies in like people's response to different types of uh, carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion was that we're all different, we're unique. Because uh, one, one person can eat a, a white bread and nothing happens, like their, their glucose stays really yeah. flat. And someone else, it goes crazy, whereas someone else has the opposite effect with a banana. Yeah, and it's and also so, like it's people, it depends on like the metabolic profile and also like the their insulin sensitivity and their training, like an athlete, of course, they need some more carbohydrates because they're burning it off constantly. Exactly, and, and sometimes you, you want a certain effect, right? Like some people will, after a workout, they might take something that will spike their glucose a little bit more to get to kind of get a desired effect out of it. Mm. But, but what also, what's interesting is I can isolate different carbohydrates, see their effects on me, but then what you want to do is say, well, yeah, I'm eating this by itself, but in the context of if I'll come, if I, what if I take this with something with more fiber in it, or take this with, you know, other herbs or spices that are known to blunt the insulin mm. response? Can I now can I actually be like, oh, well, if mm. I don't eat that, I, I put um, if I add, you know, some, uh, you know, whatever some vegetables or fiber or, or peanut butter or something, chia chia seeds or um, something that will actually add add more to it, will that blunt the effects and mm. and. Um, because I think in the, you know we all, we often don't eat one thing in isolation. It's it's in the yeah, exactly, and, and exactly. So, yeah. So that's so, so from a glucose perspective, um, I've measured. That's something I always track, and that's just something that was kind of my first entry into a lot of this measurement with with regards to uh, diet and nutrition. Because uh, before I was really doing stuff with ketones, it was all about I was trying to understand glucose from a long term perspective. Because I I had like genetic testing showed I had an elevated risk of type two diabetes, and I. But I don't. I'm, I'm nowhere near those levels. But I don't. It's almost like it's something you can look at 20 years before it's going to happen. So you can take preventative measures, or just make sure that you're not you're not trending upward. You want to make sure like what you're doing today, because that's something that you know people go to a doctor at one day and they're like, you're you have type two diabetes, but maybe 
their lifestyle over the past 20 years contributed to it and it's something you can measure anytime and see where you are so for me it's just like that's a simple proactive tool that we should all be you know paying attention to yeah and uh, a lot of a lot of my audience actually follows also the ketogenic diet and I often get asked the question of like uh, why is my blood glucose high in the morning you know there might be several reasons for it because of you know uh, cortisol like you mentioned that or not getting enough sleep so have you have you had any like similar experiences in, in this regard sure oh well, I mean if you want to lump it all together into one category, I would say, you know, stress will raise <laughs> your yeah. glucose. And now what's, what's stress? So it could be a bad night's sleep. Um, it could be, uh, I've noticed when I travel by air, uh, if I'm like a lot of flying around, it takes me about two days to recover. My glucose will just be higher. Um, your glucose is going to naturally rise the first hour. Because mm. Essentially what's happening is you, you are sleeping, metabolically you're at sleep. When you wake up and you, you know, your, your cortisol is the highest level, um, you wake up and then what's happening is you're now awake, you need more energy to walk around, you're, you're up and about. Your body needs to, pull, the liver's gonna, they're gonna pull uh, glucose out into your bloodstream. So mm -hmm. it's gonna go back up a bit. Uh, bad night's sleep, uh, travel, just general stress. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of things can play, play into that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a good, good segue to talk about like the differences between individuals and their you know, unique biomarkers. Uh, like you said, you're using self-quantification to learn more about how to optimize your personal health and performance. So, uh, what kind of tests should you know everyone take if they want to gain more awareness about their genetic makeup and uh, their biomarkers? Sure. So, uh, obviously, there's baseline blood work that people should be doing. Now, I probably do it more frequently than, than most people, but you know, even if you're doing it, let's say, your baseline blood panels, to understand, you know, get general understanding of your basic markers, whether it's, you know, your cl different cholesterol markers and glucose and kind of inflammation markers and all of that. People mm. will tend to do it, average person, let's say once a year, but I do think probably twice a year is, is better. Mm. I, I do it, mo I, I'm doing it at least quarterly. Mm. You know, sometimes I'm doing it more frequently. Like if I'm doing an experiment, I might do a two in a, in a matter of two weeks just to see a change. But I, I do think, you can kind of start getting a baseline of that and if you have the money because it gets more expensive when you start looking at things like your hormones and, and you know thyroid hormones and all of that because mm. i think if you, you start uncovering like well if everything looks good at the baseline level then don't worry so much about <laughs> the other stuff but if you start seeing things that look a little out of whack then you're like well, what's causing that mm. and then you can dig deeper um so you know so blood work for me um gives you know, a, a good sign, but even there, like, you know, you go, they'll, they'll put glucose in your blood test, but that's like one, one point in time, one day of the entire year, which mm -hmm. is why like glucose, it's something I can do at home. I can do it on my own. So I do test that much more frequently. Um, you know, other things you, there's other tests where you just don't have the ability to test it frequently at home. So you have to rely on going to the lab now yeah. with, um, you know, genetics. Um, there's a lot of services out there that will, it's a saliva-based test. You spit into a test tube and mail it in, and then they'll sequence your DNA mm -hmm. or some of your... I mean, you can now get your full genome sequence, and the prices are coming down, but it's still relatively expensive. Uh, most of the services that are out there, they're, they're just doing a portion of it. They're, they're doing like the SNPs, these SNPs, um, but then they've mapped it to a lot of research to maybe help you with um, insights into like everything from you have a sprinter's gene, like mm. you know, we have two genes that kind of map to you have that fast twitch muscle fiber yeah, yeah. genetically in your body, or um, you can, people then have created services that will take that data and put it into their system and say, 
we've developed a nutritional profile based on the things we've our research we've identified to say like you know you you can or cannot tolerate high levels of carbohydrates or you you respond to these things differently um and that's on the you know the diet side and then on the training side there are people who will say like you know you can recover faster or slower um you know so there's you you can get so your insights can go from just more observational like you know, like yes, I have a sprinter's gene. I, maybe that explains why maybe someone was good at certain sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus, you know, I'm a, like for me personally, I'm a I, I'm a fast caffeine metabolizer. Mm-hmm. So some people have the ability just to process. So which is which makes sense because I I can drink a cup of coffee at like 2 a.m. in the morning, yeah. like late, and and I can go to bed and it doesn't bother me. Like whereas someone else at five at, in the afternoon has coffee, they can't sleep that that evening. Yeah, um, I'm kind of so that, you know, I'm kind of the same. Yeah, like. Uh, yeah, though I don't really get a f- I don't really get you know these insomnia effects from caffeine. Yeah, and so some people you know have the op- you know some people can do that and they're fine, and other people can uh, you know if they they just drink a little bit and they're you know <laughs> and they have issues. Yeah. Um, so then you know so there's so there's genetic testing like one T three and me so the mm. numbers two three and me mm. and and that's they've been around probably longer than anybody else and. But now there's other um, services coming out that are trying to compete with it. Um, there's a we have a service that just launched here called uh, Viome. So it's mm. V I O M E. Oh yeah. And and this um, it was started by this sort of you know brilliant tech tech entrepreneur who had started some cool companies and and he's looking at it from the standpoint of um, he, he had access to higher resolution equipment. Mm. So uh, he's such a sequencing like you know you take your saliva or your gut. You know, so basically, almost like a stool sample, and they can understand not just the bacteria that are in your body, but look for other organisms and, and types of like, um, whether it's like a, a there's a marker for a certain parasite or other other issues. Yeah. But he's what they're trying to do is then apply artificial intelligence and, and sort of machine learning and all that to mm-hmm. it to then make insights about personalized nutrition and diet. Mm-hmm. So, the, nice. so the trick is like they're just starting. So it's almost like you're contributing to this sort of research. Yeah. So you're going to get very, probably initially, you're not going to get much out of it, but maybe five years, there's enough data that we can all now get these really great insights out of it. Um, but then you can take your genetic data, like the like this 23andMe service, and you can run it through these other services that are out there that, um, there's some, are, some are free, some some cost money, um, that will, like, like um, there's there's like a, a tool called Genetic Genie a lot of people use. You can look at things like your methylation pathways and they, they sort of, um, they'll, they'll take your data into there and do a report. Uh, there are these other companies that are then uh, ones like DNA Fit that that looks at you, again you take your data and it gives you a, a fitness profile. You know, kind of like how are you yeah. genetically set up for training and recovery and all of that. Um, but then on the microbiome side, uh, we have a, a in the United States called UBiome, mm-hmm. which is uh, basically like sequences like. Uh, they can sequence. They started off just doing like a stool, like a gut analysis, which is done just do like stool. But then they now do. Uh, they'll do swabs off your skin, off your tongue, off, so they can look at the bacteria all over your body. Because that is sort of our whole biome is like yeah. all the bacteria on our skin and our mouth, and and um, and they can kind of give you uh, insights into that. So maybe if you um, like, it's very easy to see if someone had taken antibiotics because you would see like your pro- you'd be missing certain entire species of. of um, Beneficial bacteria in your gut because you've wiped you wiped them out, and so maybe you need to take a probiotic or prebiotic to help start restoring some of those get 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 things back in balance. But they've also got enough of a um, a sample size where 
like let, you can actually say like I eat this sort of diet. So let's say let's say you're like a, a paleo diet. You say I'm a paleo diet. It compare you to other people who say they're paleo and see like what what are their do you, do you match okay. kind of what the average person is or are you exceeding or, or missing something? Mm, okay. So like, so so yes. Yeah, it's like it's like a, a lot of interesting stuff, you know, rising up from the uh, technology industry as well. So now I actually want to carry on with uh, like moving beyond just our, our bodies because you, you, you also quantify a lot of things in your environment around you, things like water and air quality. Uh, what have you done in this area? Sure. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, that's, that's where you kind of blend the sort of quantified self with biohacking in another way because we, we think about our bodies but we don't think about our environment that the environment actually has a huge impact on our health. So we can be yeah. doing all this stuff to, to optimize ourselves, but if the air quality or water quality is terrible, you know, we're going to be in trouble. So I started, um, you know, I started really looking at environment just because I live in New York City and I, I was trying to, be, I was just getting more aware of things like people who have allergies or just seeing things that are happening in you know, chemicals in homes and, and all of that. And I was trying to come up with a way to, you know, get a good measurement of what's going on in my home and particularly like when I'm in my bedroom because we spend like a third of our day there so you sleep out eight hours a day it's it's something that I can easily sort of optimize because it's a small room I can just sort of focus on that right with different sensors that would measure everything from temperature and humidity to different types of uh, gases that are in the air that can cause issues um, mm -hmm. whether it's coming from things like carbon monoxide or um, coming like if you live in a city where there's like traffic cars on the street and there's auto fumes, things will still get through your windows even if your windows are closed mm -hmm. um, and you know and, then, and so I I was kind of getting a, a good insight into what was going on around my bedroom and then uh, the fortunately now you can there's a lot of uh, products out there that are like consumer like you can just plug it in and turn it on and it connects to a smartphone app and you can kind of be on your way and so you don't have to like be soldering your own, making your own air quality monitor. I just, that's how I started it. I wanted to understand like kind of things in a certain way. And, and it was a little before these products were out, but now you can, um, you know, you'll see insight, for example, like if you sleep in, in your bedroom and overnight you might have sleep issues and you might realize like, oh, well, if you're measuring the levels of carbon dioxide, like, you know, we exhale carbon dioxide and that mm -hmm. builds up. And if your doors are closed and your windows are closed, the air quality is going to go down and eventually to the point where like you'll have sleep disruptions mm. um, you know that's that's just more like hey you're trying to optimize sleep you might want to fix some of those things mm. maybe open your door slightly get a little better ventilation uh, but it can get a little more in terms of health where you know we've got a lot of sources of, of what are called volatile organic compounds VOCs in our home mm. and this can be everything from kitchen cleaning supplies that so you put them near living areas um, like, uh, you know we, we have paints and stuff we put in our garage and um, uh, just, just like our furniture, anything that's got upholster, upholstery on it can like, mm. give off these like gases. If you've ever bought any sort of um, kind of cheap like put together furniture where it's got like the laminated wood and it's it's got like um, varnishes on them, and, you know, mm. it always has that like that sweet smell. Like that's <laughs> those are that's those are gases. It's off gassing, in, you know, stuff, and it's right into your home. And some of those things can take years to off gas because it's just mm. constantly it's a source of, of chemical. And so those things can all contribute and add up and, you know, and, it, and, it, and the effects can be just, you know, yeah, it can ruin sleep. It can have, you know, maybe make you not feel 100%, but I think extreme wise, you know, they've linked some of these conditions where, you know, to, to really bad diseases and things that can happen to people over the years because uh, I think the, um, 
the World Health Organization actually just said uh, released something saying that the indoor air quality in our homes is, is somewhere between two and twenty times more uh, toxic than outside. Mm, <laughs> so even yeah. if you think the outside air is bad, like our inside our homes is, is really bad. So, but, so, they're, but they're probably saying like in New York City or something in urban well, environments. Yeah, although I think you know, in New York City, you're talking about air. I, yeah, there's there's probably days where, or in any city, like if it's a like a hot, humid, there's not much whip breeze. Like the air is kind of just sitting there, and, and there's you know car exhaust and all these other issues. Um, it's just going to kind of yeah, it's going to contribute to poor air quality. And you'll you'll see reports that'll say you know don't let your children go outside and play today. The air is really bad outside. Stay inside today, which is you know kind of interesting. But um. But, but that's, you know, on the air quality side, you know, and there's a lot of things we can then do. And, and most of the, the, you know, improving air quality is often as easy as, you know, moving things out of certain rooms to make your living areas and bedrooms a little more, you know, the air a little, a little, <laughs> a little safer. Um, I, I use, I've got these air, air filtration units that I can place around. So, for example, if, the, uh, like, for example, we can have dust particles and things in the air which will cause us to have allergies or just discomfort. And... If levels get too high, I can have it turn on, just turn on the air filter for let's say 30 minutes, and you know, and, and the air the quality will improve. And this can you know kind of do that in an automated fashion. So we can we can we can put in systems that kind of automate a lot of these things, and we don't have to really worry about it. So we're not having to like obsessively measure things. It's, it's measuring it in the background and automatically optimizing based on that. But uh, but yeah, and so and then you know we look at things like water quality and you know. Uh, there's you know there's simple ways to test water quality. You can buy a little inexpensive test kit that will um, you take some you know whether you want to use your tap water, I don't, you know I don't know your source how you drink water, but um, a lot of people probably just open the in their sink in their kitchen sink and they probably drink that. Um, I don't. Um, what I do is actually have a I filter it out and I, I into something that will they claim to remove like all of the um, dissolved solids, all the part, all the stuff out of it. So I was testing that water as well to see um, the difference. Um, because you know you might have like sometimes there's some dissolved particles in water that could be beneficial like there's some minerals and things like if you, if you drink mineral water like it's going to have a high level of of uh, what they call um dissolved solids total dissolved solids but that's okay but you don't know like for example if you if the water that's in your municipal water supply like what's in there that could be and stuff like that but they mm. they had reports of where they're finding remnants of like pharmaceuticals and, and things that are in the water supply and so. And so I, you know, so what I did was I, I was testing both my tap water as well as the filtered water and trying to figure out the best, you know, approach to it. So I would say for me personally, if I'm going to drink water, I'm going to I'm going to drink a reputable sort of uh, mineral water spring, you know, something that I know is coming from a a good source. Um, and if I have to filter it, I have a system uh, that I can filter it with that I know gets it, just pulls out everything. But then the only problem is that water. It's kind of like just—it's really just dead water. It's like you're taking tap water, pulling everything out. Yeah. It's, it's missing. It has nothing in it. So you're—are you really getting hydrated from it? <laughs> it's mm, like, yeah, exactly. So to, yeah. Yeah, and like um, my, me personally, we—I—I I get my water from like straight from the source. We have like our own well that's you know through the plums is going coming, coming to the house. But at the same time, we still uh, we notice like that there's some uh, there's uh, slightly too much uh, iron in it. So we had to install some filters, you know. Like even though if you are getting like from a healthy source your water, then you might be still getting like too, too, too much of some some sort of minerals. And you know, like the, as your body reacts to those types of things, you know, nothing is ever uh, too much of anything is never a good thing. So you have to still you know test your individual 
you know, tap water, how your tap, what's your what's the composition of your your uh, water at home? But what, what, yeah, what exactly. Would, but what would be like someone everyone can do to improve the quality of the water? Like, uh, of course, they can install some of those filters, but. Uh, I've also heard like that adding some baking soda or lemon juice to the water can also like stabilize it or do you have anything to yeah, say about that? I, I, yeah, I did some experiments where I was trying to mess around with the, uh, the pH level of my water to try to get it more alkaline and because um, like the, my water was slightly like a little bit on the acidic side mm. on the pH scale. And I was trying to get more alkaline, and they said, you know, there's products out there that claim to be like, you know, alkaline water and, and all of that. So I was using, um, it was like baking. So I was trying to, you can put things in there to get it to adjust. But then at the end of the day, I was like treating my water with all of these things, and I was like, and it tastes terrible. I was like, let me just go, go let me just get water that comes from a stream. Like I'll get a bottle. Like I found the source of good, you know, water that comes from a river. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, and it's it. And so I, you know, so for me, it's like. You can do all these things to hack the water. I, I, I do think like squeezing some some lime or, or lemon into your water is a good way to make some adjustments to like uh, alkalinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but in terms of if the water is you know polluted, if you if you have bad tap water, I think the first thing you can do is you know you you want to filter out stuff. And like you said, you know, like you might have too much of something in it, like your your well water, and you you need to remove it. But the problem then is. On the other side would be you take everything out and now you're missing stuff and so you see people that have these like filtration systems in their homes or reverse osmosis or whatever they're then mm. having to put back in stuff mm. because it, it, it rips everything out um, and so I so for me uh, you know when in doubt like I go towards you know good spring water mineral water um, if I'm home I, ha- I have my water that's filtered I, I don't rely if I drink a glass or two of that I'm not going to sweat it it's not a big deal but uh, I'm not going to rely on drinking that all the time I don't think um, for me at least I, you know if I'm going to hack my tap water I'm you know definitely have to you know you want to filter it at least you want to take out any of the bad stuff that's already there and then you know at least the bad stuff's out and then you yeah. decide like, now do I put something back in a little lime and mm-hmm. squeeze a lime in my water. but baking soda and things in my water I just <laughs> it starts it's not enjoy. It's like it doesn't taste good. So, like, yeah, yeah. so you know, I don't want to. You know, I, I, yeah. I was kind of going down that road, and I was just like, why am I going through all this trouble? And I can just, you know, okay. I can go get go get some healthy water. Yeah. Okay. So let, why don't we now let's talk about a little bit about your personal routines? Like, uh, what? Let's start off with maybe your morning routine. What time do you wake up, and how do you optimize yourself for the coming day? Sure. So. I'm one of those people who does not use an alarm clock, so mm. I get up essentially the same time every morning. Uh, it's usually between, um, for me, it's between seven and eight a.m. So I'm not, I'm not at the five a.m. early riser. I, I need to wake up between seven and eight, and I do that every day, whether it's the weekend, during the work week. Um, in terms of routine, uh, as soon as I wake up and before I even get out of bed. Um, I, I check my heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. So I do that every morning. Um, yet, right, you know, while I'm still laying down, it takes you know, just a minute or two. And and so now, because I have a baseline, so I can look at every day over the last, let's say, a couple of years. But you take us kind of your seven-day moving average, and it'll show you like, are you overtrained, or should you recover today? It can show you like, are you maybe potentially getting sick? Um, it reduces a lot. And so, heart rate, you know, doing that morning heart rate variability is kind of like a good first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know, so I'll do that, and then sometimes if I'm um, 
you know, in terms of embed, I'm, I'm trying to think if I'm measuring, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm measuring is passive, so like sleep tracking and all that sort of happening in the background. So I'll usually get up, uh, check out, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm wearing a glucose monitor, I'll be checking my, my blood glucose. Um, oh, that's the other thing. Sometimes in bed still, I'll, um, I'll actually check my temperature before I get up. So, because it, uh, you're, you're kind of, you're resting your body temperature um, trends over time as well. Like that's kind of an indication of things like thyroid function and so, sort of where, where it's going. But now there's tools like we're both wearing like an aura ring and that's, that's sort of measuring things like your body temperature. It's kind of giving you some of those numbers. So I don't have to like take the reading like that. Um, you know, I would say, you know, after after I kind of do all that, I take measurements. Uh, I'll, I'll look at I'll look at my data from the day before while I'm you know, making making my coffee in the morning and um, kind of just you know spending a little time with that. I you know my things like exercise and workouts. I I don't do that right away. I'll um, I'll shift like I, my, it's like my optimal time to work out is actually early afternoon, but often I can't do that. So mm -hmm. I'll either try to do late morning or early evening. Uh, but I would say um, from you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm fairly new to like things like meditation, but mm -hmm. if I do that, I would do that on the, you know, fairly on the earlier side. I mean, just like whatever, a little 10 minute sort of, sort of thing. And if, I mean, you kind of feel good and refreshed. Um, I, you know, I'll probably be working in more, um, breath work in the morning too. Like, um, uh, like I just did a seminar this weekend with, um, I don't know, did you meet Casper at Biohack yeah, or something? So yeah, he just did a sem he did a seminar here in New York over the weekend. So we did like a lot some really cool breathwork stuff and um, you know kind of there's elements of off breathing in there and all that. But it's like there's some simpler things you can do in the morning that are like just take a few minutes and um, that kind of sets you up for the day as well. So what does an average day of eating look like for you? What do you eat per day? Average day of eating. Um, so again, we talked about uh, a bit about intermittent fasting. So uh, in the morning, I, I'll have just a, say a cup or a cup and a half of uh, some type of say coffee with healthy fats in it. Uh, what I've started doing actually now is I've been I've been making my own chaga tea, um, brewing it. So I'm actually now putting that into my coffee as I get the adaptogens. I, I, my body seems to really crave um, the, the chaga. Uh, and so then on my meals throughout the day, uh, typically I'll eat, um, I'll start my eating window, let's say noon, one o'clock, I'll have like a lunch meal. Um, again, follow pretty much a, what you would call like a, a paleo type diet. So, you know, yeah, yeah. high fat, high fat, high protein, low, low carbohydrate, um, you know, lots of vegetables and then. Uh, you know, and I kind of do that breakfast and dinner. Um, but the only difference is I, I try to work in more seafood. I'm trying to get up my intake of uh, omega threes and get more DHA. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to like definitely work in. You know, like my go-to is like I always have a can of sardines in my bag. I've always got you know things where I can get a quick mm -hmm. little access to food. But um, you know, and then uh, yeah, I mean I keep it pretty simple. I don't overthink it. Like food, you know, I, I tend to make most of my own meals. Fortunately, like I don't eat out a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and in New York City, most people eat out all the time. But you know, I, I still, if I do go out to eat to find a restaurant, I found places are now. There's a lot more options in terms of like eating. I want to go place and find a good grass-fed steak. I can go somewhere and have access to some good seafood, and um, doesn't don't have to be like the guy who's like annoying all of the staff at the restaurant, like making all these dietary requests. You know, because they're always like, "Oh, gluten-free? Are you allergic?" And I have to be you know, when I'm not, but I have to be like, "Yeah, I'm going to die if I eat anything." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because otherwise they're just going to give you whatever they have. Yeah. But um, 
but yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I supplement in terms of, you know, the diet is, is pretty straightforward. I, I don't overthink it. Um, around, around workouts and training, like I've, I've been, I've been incorporating a little bit more um, kind of like powerlifting type workouts a couple times a week, so more deadlifts and all that, which is I've seen really great results from. So that, but I'm actually then adding in, take I'm at, on those days I'm adding in some additional uh, BCAAs, some more amino acids. Um, I find it really helps me with. Um, it's been helping a lot with things um and I'm, I'm careful not to take like i don't want to take them every day because there's things like mtor and activation yeah. and and they're saying if you activate mtor too much it's like longevity wise it's not a good thing to always have your mtor activated so i'm mm. saying like when i decide on certain days i'm going to be like okay today i'm going hard i'm okay activating it but then on the, on the rest day or recovery day i'm like i don't i don't want to activate it i don't want to i want to stay like yeah, yeah. keep keep rest um you know and in terms of uh you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't have a sweet tooth. I don't snack, so like, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Like, you know, I might eat some nuts, like you know, some almonds and things like that, or make a, you know, I can make a, a good, a good healthy smoothie type uh, shake. You know, like I can, you know, I have some good recipes for for things. Like, I can just drink if I want, you know, some added something else to eat. Um, but that's, you know, that's really like diet wise. I don't, I don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keep you know, it simple. I, I think what I've realized. But yeah, you, you. I mean, it's, it might it's sound like, like I think I think it's like once you've you know tried all these experiments and tests, then you kind of establish this uh, intuitive knowledge about how your body responds, and you also like you you begin to naturally follow your own uh, cravings, or you know you 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 realize that uh, someday I'm gonna need more carbs, or someday I'm gonna you know be better off by eating more fat. Yeah, and the only thing I would add is um, it is smart to change like maybe every few months or something sort of cycle off certain things like if you eat eggs every day potentially you can develop an intolerance like if you're eating it all the time mm-hmm. um, so I've seen people who like ate eggs and they were upping and they were eating a dozen eggs <laughs> and also they were getting allergic so mm-hmm. they got they stopped it for 30 days and then they were able to add them back into their diet so it's you sort of need you know you want to keep things simple but also not just rely on the exact same thing every day because your body you, it could have issues if you eat the same thing all the time. You can sit there and just eat broccoli or kale or whatever every day, but you need to eat a variety, right? So I like yeah. to, I'm all about looking. I, I look at the colors on my plate. I look at you know what what does it look like? Is it that shows me that there's a variety of, of things on there? Hmm. Exactly. And uh, okay, we're like we're kind of ending the near of the show, and you know we we talked about many topics. I'm going to ask and I'm asking like a few of my last questions from you, and. Uh, are there any like uh, quantifications you suggest every person take, or so, some measurements everyone should be taking on a you know, not like not like every day, but on a like a consistent basis? Yeah, uh, we we covered a few of them. Um, I do think uh, glucose, blood sugar is like it's one that is really easy to do. Anyone can do it. It's inexpensive. Uh, I, I think it, it, you can use it not just from understanding your baselines and seeing kind of where you are, you know, in terms of your trends, but, um, but you can play around with it and you can start seeing like, hey, what happens when I eat a certain type of food or exercise or, you know, based on how I slept last night. <clears throat> so glucose, I think, is, is super, super important because I think it's a proxy to a lot of other um, things that go on in the body. Uh, we talk about, uh, I mean, sleep tracking for me is, you know, 
I know a lot of people are using tools to track sleep and they look at their data, whether you're using like uh, an app or a, a wearable, like, you know, whether it's like this or this type of wearable. Um, but, I, but I do think, you know, again, assuming that the data is correct, because I think there's, depending, you know, there, there could be some accuracy issues with different devices based on, not that the device is inaccurate, but if things move around on your wrist during sleep, the way they're tracking the sleep can maybe be a bit off. But for me, a big insight initially was like, I was always like, I could sleep, I could fall asleep anywhere. Like mm -hmm. I could sleep very easily no matter what. But then what I found out was I was sleeping eight hours. I thought I was sleeping eight hours, but I actually wasn't. I was actually waking up numerous times throughout the evening, but I didn't realize I was. Mm -hmm. And so that actually made my sleep quality was actually terrible. Mm -hmm. So I'm not too, well, pretty bad. So I think you have a better understanding of your sleep patterns and then you might realize like, if I move my sleep time, you know, half an hour earlier or later, or, or make these changes or change the temperature in my bedroom, like does that improve my sleep? Mm -hmm. I think that will affect a lot of other things. Um, we talked about heart rate variability. I think heart rate variability can be used in a number of ways. Uh, we talked about using it as a, a daily marker of your kind of state of recovery or overtraining or go, go hard today kind of Mm. Your body's really in a good position for that, but you can also use it like more acutely. Like you can you can measure HRV and, and see the effects. Like I've played around with it. I've watched movies and, and seen like does my body stress out if I'm watching like an action movie mm. in, a, in a theater and um, you know or you know because because that's your um, your autonomous nervous system. Like you yeah. your autonomic nervous system. You you can't control that. So you might be like showing people like I'm I'm calm and I'm all fine, but really inside your body's yeah, like oh exactly. yeah. Um, but also, but also HRV, you know, it's a proxy again, like we talk about, you said people on ketogenic diet might have higher glucose in the morning. Well, if they're stressed or, you know, sleep could be an indicator, but also then if your HRV is lower, that's a bad, it's not as good below your baseline, your HRV could be because you're sleeping poorly. So everything kind of, you know, changed. So it's like bad sleep, low HRV, higher glucose. Mm. Um, and, and that kind of goes through. Uh, you know, I do. I do think you know. We talk about we we hit on you know indoor air quality. I do. I just think it's something that these days is you can you don't have to understand all the science behind it. You can. It's something you kind of set up and and get some good insights. And you know, and and I I take my monitor and I, I could, it's cool as I can move it like put it in my bedroom for a few days, see how that's going. Then move it into another room and kind of see how that's that room's doing. Um, you don't need to have like one air quality monitor in every single room of your home. Um, you know, I, I think I, I, there's other things I'm, I check that are less frequent, like I'm doing certain experiments. Um, like I do think if you're anyone playing around with ketosis or ketogenic diets, definitely of course you want to kind of have an understanding of your, your, your blood, um, your ketones. Um, something I recently learned though was, so when I was playing around with ketone measurements initially, there's different ways you can measure them, right? There's mm -hmm. blood, breath, and urine. Uh, and I was kind of like using the, the test strips, the, and I was like, thought I was in ketosis, and the test strips were like, no, it was it's showing very low. Mm -hmm. What I learned was, that's a, so the blood ketones are kind of like saying, what, what's in your system, what's in your blood? Mm -hmm. the, the urinary strips are showing you essentially what your body's not using, what yeah. you're passing out. So that's actually a good thing. So if you show exactly. high blood ketones, low urine ketones, that actually means like you're pretty efficient, like you're actually yeah. doing well. But people think that it's showing up low on the strips that something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I um. So that was something that I had like. I it took me a little bit. I had I didn't know that initially, and I think a lot of people <laughs> maybe don't understand that concept. But it's yeah. They they kind of work hand in hand like that. Mm. Um. 
you know, in terms of, you know, I'm trying to think what other, like, you can take just by using those few measures, you get a lot of insights that you can connect to all aspects of, of kind of your life, whether it's, you know, just health or training or um, just rest and recovery. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, like, what other, I, you know, I, I think you can get good insights. Anyone who gets their, like, uh, gets their, their DNA checked, you know, even if, um, you know, those tests, are the, the ones out there today are not that expensive and you can get some interesting insights. Now, keep in mind that because something says you have this certain gene or you have whatever, it doesn't mean that that's active. Like, there's a big difference between, like, having something and saying, like, that's, that, you know, you've turned it on, you, that, that thing's been turned on or whether it's bad or good. Mm-hmm. So that's, you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt because actually our environments, the epigenetic effects are bigger than anything else. So, you know, the way the environment we're in affects what gets the signaling and what gets turned on and what gets turned off. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, but for me, it was like a cool, it's cool just to see that dig a little deeper into those sorts of things. Um, tests that do things like, like neurological testing and all of that, but they're not necessarily things that are easily accessible. So if you're, you know, it's not something you can do yourself. Like I would have to go to a, go to an expert mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, this has this really interesting, cool test that can assess, you know, did I, did I have a, did I have any brain injury because I played years of, of foot soccer or football, whatever you call, you call yeah. it, but, yeah. um, you know, while hitting me in the head for years, maybe there's some, you know, some damage there, yeah. um, program it. But so, yeah, but I think if you just stick to things like that, like, in, you know, your, uh, sleep glucose, you want to measure, you know, your different ketone numbers, um, uh, and, 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 get, and get understanding your environment. I think you'll be, you'll be on your way to, mm. uh, to, to make good improvements. Mm, nice. So like, uh, this this podcast is, is is called like body mind empowerment, and uh, you know it's about it's a holistic approach that incorporates both your physical and uh, mental well being and performance. So, what would be like two of the most important and most effective things anyone can do for for their body and and their mind uh, at the same time, or just two different things? Well, let's keep them distinctly. Like first for the body, and then for the mind. Well, I think for the body, I mean, it's no brainer for me. It's just um, any any type of movement um, every day. So mm-hmm. you know what you know. E- even if you go to the gym and lift heavy weights, I think there's other types of mobility work and other at, like your your there's a functional movement and, and mm-hmm. having your body like you know we don't tumble anymore. We don't like do things that like we should be doing, and and, and our, it lets our body be able to like deal with other like I find doing like other types of exercises mixed in with with strength training allow mm-hmm. me to be able to like take a fall or, you know, and, and just have a more, more body awareness around that and have other types of functional strength. So, you know, like, I think you probably do, it looks like you do some like gymnastics type training and, and yeah. I think you're always doing like hands, hands, hands and things. So mixing that up with strength training and playing sports, but I think it's just movements. Like most of the issues I see with people are when they, we sit at desks all day and we're not doing much. So, um, so I don't think it's about any type of exercise as much as, as long as you're doing something that gets you beyond walking, like mm. some functional types of movements. So, get a sweat you know, there's on, people I know. What's, what's that? Get a sweat on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get a sweat on. And yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, and challenge yourself. Like, I mean, you can do a lot just like, I can go up against a wall and get into a wall sit position and hold it for as long as I can. And my whole ner- nervous system will override and my body will start shaking within like a minute or two. Mm. And it's just because your brain's going like, what's going on? This is not good. But eventually your body kind of resists or gives up resisting it and you kind of just get into this zone. Um, and you know, you can do a lot of these cool workouts that it's all about. It's like 
as much training the nervous system as the body. Yeah. Because um, putting yourself in these positions that you really haven't been in before. Um, you know, on, on the on the cognitive side, uh, you know, I, I do think uh, for me it's well, there's two things. I, I do think um, from improving cognition, I, I just find like finding some time to write every morning, um, just whether it's tra- you know take 20 minutes every morning and whatever like maybe you you you're a blogger or but you just or you write some fiction or something just just something to um get your brain kind of going every morning get your thoughts down mm. i feel um i don't know and it could be it's not it could be nonsense like I, I often do this thing where um i'll come up with an idea like um I, i'll have to make a list i'll be like um come up with 10 come up with 10 funny business ideas around something and I got to sit there and like really scratch my head and maybe something out of those 20 maybe there's actually something that's pretty cool in there but it forces me you know and I give myself a time limit I said you know I'm yeah. going to give myself 20 minutes uh, to do this um, but some days I might just say like I actually maybe I'm working on a blog post I was like I got I'm just gonna go and, and I'm gonna hammer this out in 20 minutes I'm not gonna have any distractions I'm anything like that um, so I think you know getting some aspect of, of just some kind of writing you know, uh, in the, every morning, will it, it just it just feel like helps out with a lot of things. Um, not, it's not just like gets you, it primes your primes your mind for for the day, but it, it just I just feel like it activates areas that maybe you're not getting to use the rest of the day. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually doing something similar like this journaling practice, and it's it's very effective for you know overall awareness and gets the mind going as well. But uh, what does the future hold for Bob? What the near future? The near future. Um, I, well, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. And my background's in technology, so I, you know, I, I haven't in my career, like on a professional level, been um, actively like you know con- connecting the two. So it was always like a personal passion of mine. Whereas I was doing my day job or my my businesses were all on that uh, the other side of things. And I'm and I'm finally at a point in, in my career now where. Um, Things are coming together to be able to combine you know, combine your passion with 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 in purpose with business in a way. But 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 my blog and all of that and the per- that's still always my personal outlet. Like I don't I mean I, I didn't do that for any commercial reason. That was just always my my outlet. Mm-hmm. But I'm working on a handful of like little projects now with people that are around things around really interesting technologies and tools that are much more integrated into the in sort of into the space and. Try, my my goal is to make this make a lot of this accessible to the average person. So we're not all data scientists. We don't you know it's not about who can collect the most data and most information. It's about what you do with it, right? What, what information is useful, and and that's the challenge I've seen most people are facing. Like you know they're using an app to track their diet and they're putting in every little calorie and they're logging every little micronutrient and they're like after two days they're like this is ridiculous. This is too much work. <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 you know and something as simple as like I find. Like if I tell someone, just take a picture of every one of your meals for a week. Let me see the photos. I can look at it and go, that portion size is off. Oh, you don't have enough vegetables. I can see the colors, or there's a variety there, and 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 you can make a lot of cool insights there. And people, and the person using doing that, they they'll get self awareness just out of that as well. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to overcomplicate. Um, you know, having all this data is great, but um, you know, I'd rather collect the data and not have to look at it, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and figure out what are the simple the simple pieces that we can. Um, Utilize out of it than than just like not having that data in the first place. So yeah, so the future is really just um, you know I'm exploring in a lot of these areas that um, 
I'm really excited about. And uh, you know, beside, aside from you know doing my own personal experimentation and and writing about my sort of adventures and in biohacking and self quantification, uh, yeah, probably in the next you know six months or so, you know, we'll, we'll maybe hear about some some cool things I'm working on. Nice. So, where can people learn more about you and your work? Sure. Uh, website is quantifiedbob.com and mm. in terms of social media, uh, whether it's uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's just quantifiedbob, so it's very easy. Um, and if anybody wants to reach out to me, it's just bob at quantifiedbob.com. Bob, thanks again for coming on the show. <laughs> thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Great. Alright, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I definitely enjoyed speaking with Bob. Stay tuned for the next episode with Jako Halmetoya, where we talk about different mushrooms and other medicinal compounds that, that are growing in your backyard. Thanks for watching. Click the like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered.